Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media. To make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. And the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Glory be to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, now and ever, in the ages of all ages. Amen. Quite often people read this gospel and they find it difficult to, con- to consider why the Lord wants us to become kids. Or does he tell us to become little children? It says, at the time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? There's this constant obsession about being great. Notice even in today's world, people talk about, you know, the goat, you know, the greatest of all time. The goat of basketball, the goat of soccer, the goat of I don't know what, the goat of this, the goat of that. And everybody is obsessed about the goat. And they have posters of the goat in their rooms and posters of the goat in different, uh, maybe on their phones. That's their wallpaper, the goat. And yet there are no goats in the kingdom of heaven. I don't know if you realize that. It says that the Lord will separate the sheep from the goats. There's no goats in heaven. What does this mean? The idea of being great is not uh, in the equation of the kingdom of heaven. It's not part of the laws of the kingdom. Part of the law, because the greatest of all time, truly, Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, He who is truly the greatest, emptied Himself, made Himself of no reputation, and gave Himself for our salvation. There's no such thing as considering myself great or greater When the Lord speaks of things that are great, He says something like, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down His life for His friends. These are the concepts of greatness in the kingdom of heaven. This is great. Great is your love. Great is your faith. When He tells the woman, or tells any, I marveled at their faith. Great is your faith. These are the concepts of greatness that the Lord Jesus is speaking about. And what are found in heaven. Any other form of greatness that the earth considers great. It's not found in the kingdom. That's why when the Lord wanted to exemplify this. To illustrate it to them in a point. He brings this innocent child. And says. Surely I say to you. Unless you are converted and become as little children. You will by no means enter the kingdom. Why does the Lord put it this way? Of course everyone knows. What are the characteristics or the qualities of a child. But the question is, do we understand that anything that is alien to the innocence of a child does not exist in the kingdom? And therefore, because it doesn't exist in the kingdom, if I want to enter the kingdom with such things, I cannot. I cannot enter the kingdom. So, again, we see the point that the Lord is trying to raise here. So let me ask you a couple of questions for us to think. When the Lord says, for example... I'll read a passage from the book of Hebrews, St. Paul's famous chapter on faith, chapter 11. Look at example, the people who are willing to believe and take the word of God at at his word and believe it all the way. It says, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. So Noah was told, build an ark. And... 
He was divinely warned by things not yet seen. There was no evidence of what was to come. Because when Noah began to build the ark, there were still almost a hundred years left before the floods. So Noah had no idea of what he saw, but he believed in the word of God. That's what a child does, right? And it's amazing how when a child is very young, they look up to their mom and dad like, you know, Superman and Superwoman. And anything they say goes. And they're easily led by the hand to the next destination, to the next place. Full trust, full respect, full honor. But then as we grow older, other things come in the way and replace that greatness that we looked at in the parents. This should not be. Again, this is not in the kingdom. So Noah had that childlike respect and honor for the word of God. And when the Lord said, Noah, build an ark, he built an ark. And that was it. Could you imagine someone standing there in the middle of your backyard? You have no swimming pool even. You have no source of water in your backyard except a hose, a garden hose. And yet somebody's sitting there every day in your backyard. You wake up in the morning, you hear hammering and knocking on wood. Somebody's building a boat in your backyard. They're, they're not even going to be able to bring it into a body of water. Imagine the, the mockery Noah was constantly facing because of that. And yet because God told him, and he had evidence of things not yet seen, he did it. If we move on, another example of these heroes of faith, or these people who had that childlike faith, that enters the kingdom, like Abraham. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Again, God says, Abraham, pack up and go. Where do I go? I'll tell you later. Just go. Again, this is unseen in today's world. And yet Abraham took the word and did it. Abraham did not have another reference before him. It's not like Abraham could open up the book of Hebrews and read about himself in chapter 11. The book of Hebrews had not yet been written. The Old Testament had not yet been written. And yet he had a bond with his God, his creator, and said, Lord, you say go, I'll go. You say jump, I'll say how high. So that was, of course, Abraham's first main test. Then it says in verse 13 of the same chapter, these all died, so these, these people, this, these people who had this childlike trust and faith and honor to the word of God, they all died in faith, not having received the promises, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, all the prophets, all the righteous men and women before the crucifixion, they all died in faith. They all died waiting for this promise. But having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed. They were assured, they embraced, and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. That's why at the end of the liturgy, the priest says, we also are sojourners in this place, just like they were. We also as sojourners, keep us in your faith. Grant us your peace unto the end. Goes on to continue about Abraham. He writes, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. A woman was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. So Abraham waits almost a century to have the son of promise, Isaac. And then while he sees him growing in front of him as a young lad, the Lord tells him, give me Isaac. And all of a sudden, all the dreams are shattered because didn't you tell me that from Isaac, my seed shall be called. You promised me a long time before Isaac was born 
that you would give me descendants as the sand on the seashore, as the stars in the sky. This is, this is your promise. All of a sudden, I have to give him away. That's not what Abraham says. We don't read about that in Genesis. It doesn't say that Abraham had this debate. The only debate we see Abraham having with God is when he's bargaining to save Sodom and Gomorrah from destruction. God, what if there's 50? What if there's 40? What if there's 30? And he bargains down all the way down to 10 people. But he doesn't bargain or have this kind of like debate with the Lord on Isaac. Why? St. Paul sheds a beautiful light on the reason why Abraham just woke up early that morning, the next day, early in the morning, packed up, saddled the donkey, got the servants, got everything he needed for the sacrifice, including his son Isaac, and went up to the hill. What does it say? Concluding. So the reason why this happened is because Abraham concluded that God was able to raise him up Abraham concluded in his mind because he had that faith in God and took his word. When God says something, God is able to perform, able to fulfill. With God, nothing shall be impossible. And again, yet, Abraham did not have the Gospel of Luke to read about the Annunciation and Archangel Gabriel telling St. Mary that with God, nothing shall be impossible. He didn't have any of this. We do. And other things. So, he concluded that God was able to raise him up to raise Isaac up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. So Abraham was able to think, okay, he wants me to give him back Isaac. Well, he gave him to me. It's, he's his, not mine. So fine. I guess I'm going to offer him to him, and then he said I'm going to have my seed from Isaac, and God does not lie. So he'll probably raise him up. From the, he's going to do something. I don't know what he's going to do, but he's going to do something. Abraham had no idea, but he did have a firm understanding and belief. One could argue that Abraham is probably the one of the first people ever in the history of humanity to have an understanding or a, a concept, some sort of theological understanding of the resurrection to come. Because he believed that Isaac, who he was about to sacrifice, God could raise him up because he said, from Isaac your seed shall be called. He had this understanding, his, this belief, this faith. Another wonderful example, there's tons of it. If you want to go read Hebrews 11 in detail and see for yourself, but we'll just take one more example of Moses. It says, by faith Moses, when he became of age, so when Moses was old enough to decide for himself whether he was going to remain in Pharaoh's palace or leave Egypt, he, became, he refused. When he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He said, I don't want this anymore for me. This is not for me. This does not belong to me. Why? It says because he choosing rather. So he made a choice, right? He refused Pharaoh's palace, palace and the luxury and the, the, one of the great empires of all time he, and dynasties. He refused all that because he chose something instead of it. Think, well, from human standpoint, he made a very poor choice because all of a sudden he's giving up Egypt and all its power and luxury and comfort and choosing something of a much lesser value from human standards. What does he say? It says, choosing rather to suffer affliction. Why? Why would you want to suffer affliction? You, have, you, you can sleep on the most comfortable bed, eat the most succulent food, have everything given to you at your beck and call. It's like a seven-star hotel with your private concierge 24-7. 
But you'd rather give that up? Yes. Why, Moses? Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He realized there's a huge difference between the passing pleasures of sin and the kingdom of God. They're not the same. It's totally different to the point that, as St. Paul would say, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor have entered the heart of man. The things God has prepared for those who love Him. So even if Egypt looked like that at the time of Pharaoh, none of that exists in the kingdom of God. So what exists in the kingdom of God? How much greater is the kingdom of God? It has nothing to do with the, past, the passing pleasures of sin. It has nothing to do with the flesh. It has nothing to do with the temporary. That's why St. Paul says, the things which are seen are temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. And that's why if I focus and fixate my mind and heart and everything I know about on the temporal, I'm missing out on what's eternal. So he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. What reward did you see, Moses? What reward did you see? By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him, capital H, who is invisible. How could you see someone that's invisible, Moses? Abraham, how could you do something when he didn't see it in the future yet? Just based on a promise? Just because someone told you so? Yeah, someone told me so, but guess what? It's not just any someone. This is not just some guy on the street trying to sell me something cheap. This is the Word of God Himself. The Word of God Himself trying to give me a promise. And a promise that He's able to keep. So the question is, like we read in the Gospel today, how much am I willing to love? How much am I willing to believe God? And take Him at His Word. Because this faith is quite often misunderstood because we think faith is some sort of theological understanding. We don't realize that faith is much more than theology. Faith is a basis of love, a relationship based on love. It's a promise of he who can keep something for us. How much am I willing to be led? Again, the Lord said, unless you become as this child, meaning unless you develop and get back that that child had. When a child, mommy, why does it have to be like that? Because, okay. Daddy, why is it this way? Okay. There was no argument. When we were young, there was no debate. The debates happened as soon as we entered school. And then, thanks to the school that we, that we have today in the world, there's a lot of debating and a lot of confusion that our children are going through. And they come home, but wait a minute, my teacher said this. You must be wrong, mom. You must be wrong, dad. And it becomes a change of pace. How much am I willing to be led and say, Lord, at your word? St. Peter said the same thing. Lord, at your word, I'll let down the net. Even though he was a little skeptical about the results at first, he let down the net. So again, it comes to the point, how much am I willing to be led? It's like if you ask any good teacher at school or any good coach in a sport, they love to work with the kids that are willing to learn, the kids that are willing to be coached. But the kids that are in the class that are stubborn, arrogant, don't want to learn, think they know better. Same thing on the court. 
these kids are a fatigue to the coach or the teacher because he or she's trying to embed in them something, help them, help them implement something, help them succeed, help them learn, help them win, and they're like twiddling their thumbs, playing on their cell phones, on social media, doing whatever, and they're not willing to be led. So again, it, the question remains, what am I willing to do? The Lord says, you cannot enter the kingdom without this because these things don't exist. Pride does not exist in heaven. Arrogance does not exist in heaven. Hate does not exist in heaven. Stubbornness does not exist in heaven. Lack of forgiveness does not exist in heaven. Go on and on and on. The list goes on. So if we think of that child that looks up to mom and dad and holds on tight, how can we regain that same respect and honor we had as children towards our parents, towards our living God, the Father of all? How can we regain that? We start by asking for it. The question again, so, so tests to see, how fast can I forgive someone? So this is your like a spectrum from very slowly to very fast. The faster you're able to forgive, the closer you are to the kingdom of heaven. The slower you are to forgive, the, the harder it is for you at this point in time to enter the kingdom. For example, another one, how long do you keep a grudge for? The longer you keep grudge, the harder it is for you to get into the kingdom, because there are no grudges in the kingdom of God. And the list goes on. Other examples we can think about. How fast do I go back to God and say sorry and repent? How fast do I go back to my family and say sorry for my mistake? Mom, I'm sorry. Honey, I'm sorry. Sweetheart, I'm sorry. Dad, forgive me. To my brother, to my sister, to my grandparent, to my sibling, to whoever. How much am I willing to take the word that St. Paul says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. How much am I willing to say, you know, I'm not sleeping tonight till I've reconciled with you. Again, depending on how fast I'm willing, that's how close I am to heaven. The slower I am to this, the more stubborn I am against this, the more unlikely so far do I have a seat in heaven. When that, forgive me for saying that, because in reality, you have a seat reserved in heaven for you. From before the foundation of the world, it's been reserved in heaven for you. However, I could say, you know what? I give my seat to someone else. Thank you very much. I could. I could do that. I could choose that. And many have chosen that. Many choose to do so every single day. Multiple times a day. Many people do that. So again, it depends. If I want to become a child again and think, remember how when you were a little child and you would be caught your, your attention would be caught by a butterfly flying by have you ever seen little children like you could be like trying to get somewhere because you're in a hurry and your child just saw a butterfly or look there's a kitty and the child is not in a hurry like you are or like i are and they want to go see the little kitty honey we have to go yeah but look at the kitty look at the butterfly look at the whatever and we are mesmerized by these simple Natural beauties, simple natural occurrences. How many of you have been by, let's say, beauty of a cardinal just sitting on, perched on your front lawn on a tree right by your house, but we had to rush out and drive off because of whatever. These are just examples of going back to that childlike heart which belongs in the kingdom, which heaven is made like. Again, it's, a, it's only a choice. 
And I say it's only a choice because it's that easy. It's a choice. Choose. It's that simple. Again, the Lord is trying to tell us the kingdom is not hard to get into if you make the right choice. It's not a difficult entry. He even told the scribes and the Pharisees when they said the right answer, he said, you are not far from the kingdom. But now, now that you know what you have to do, go and do it. It's good that you know it. It's good that you can recite the verse. Wonderful. But now go and do likewise. So I think if every one of us takes these words by faith and says, grant me to imitate Moses and Abraham and countless others who didn't have any of the things we have, at least not to the extent we do, they didn't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, didn't have the Bible as a constant reference. There's many things they didn't have. And yet they were able to go ahead and follow the Lord. Let's pray and say, Lord, grant us to grow in your grace and in your knowledge. St. Clement of Rome once said, it is to the humble-minded, to the humble-minded that Christ belongs, not to those who exalt themselves above his flock. Again, it is to the humble-minded that Christ belongs, not to those who exalt themselves above his flock. Let's pray for the childlike heart. St. Paul tells us, I'm not telling you to be foolish in, in the world. God says, be wise as serpent and harmless as doves. That's why St. Paul clarifies that in 1 Corinthians 14. It says, brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice, be babes. In wisdom, be mature. In understanding, be mature. Let's pray for one another to achieve this because this is what heaven is all about. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Blessed are they in truth. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.